understand the pride, let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be unto all. And to us here. is from the Holy Gospel according to the evangelist Saint Mark. Glory to thee, O Lord, glory to thee. Let us attend the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <clears throat> As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me the latter of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. At that time Jesus came down and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and hate you, they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Glory to the John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord, and he prepared his way into a very downtrodden, downcast in society fully in disarray. The Israel of the time of Christ's birth and the beginning of his earthly ministry was a place that was under strict Roman rule. It was a country occupied by hated occupiers, one of different religion, different culture, and who had no respect for the Jewish law, the Jewish system, or anything about Israel, including the people thereof. It was a time for the Jews when they were oppressed severely by hated occupiers. They were people that were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for an anointed Christ to come and save them from the Romans and from their plague and peril of the earthly life that they suffered under during those days of Roman occupation. Since the time of the Babylonian captivity, the Jewish state had truly been in disarray. 
And while there have been times of revival as of the building of the second temple, they were still so far from, removed from the great glories of the time of Solomon and David. Men wept, it says in the book of Ezra, when they saw the foundation of the second temple laid, for it was so much less great than what God had originally wanted for them. The, the road of sin had carried them into this point of captivity. And it was into this earthly darkness, the society that was looking for a Messiah to save them from Rome, to give them prosperity in the earthly life, to give them back their kingdom and the glories of this life and the world that they'd experienced under David and under Solomon's rule. It was into this world that Jesus Christ came to preach his gospel, his way of salvation, his good news. They were assembled that day on the mount, and this is where the Sermon on the Mount is delivered, to a bunch of people who were downtrodden and looking for an earthly Messiah, for a physical kingdom, one of prosperity, good health, good fellowship, good fun, kind of like New Year's Eve. They were looking for a total change in their earthly situation. And Jesus came and he anointed his 12 disciples and then came down and preached to the multitudes in this scene that set out for us. In kind of an abbreviated form from Matthews, we have a shorter form. Perhaps we could call it a summary of the Beatitudes. Before Jesus delivers his few short sentences to the people, to his disciples, who were set and tasked to preach this message to all the world, starting in Judea and Jerusalem. Before that, we see this scene of the, ma the mass of people, and they're set in this scene of oppression under the Roman Empire, looking for healing, looking for deliverance from the earthly situation. He came down, it says, and he stood in the plain in the company of his disciples in the midst of this great multitude of people from everywhere throughout the nation of Israel, from Judea, all Judeans as in Jerusalem, from the seacoast of Tyre and from Sidon. They came from all around. And it says two things that they came for. They came to hear him, which is to get spiritual healing, to have some hope in this hopeless situation, in this dark world physically that they lived in, and then they came to be healed of their earthly and physical diseases. Both the physical and the spiritual side of the people was in the depths of despair. And so it was that Jesus came, and even to those that were vexed with unclean spirits, he brought healing. The scripture says that the entrance of God's word gives light. That's the hearing that he spoke of here in this passage. People need to hear. There's hope. They need to hear in their earthly situation, even like a place like Israel at that time, in the poverty and the oppression of these cruel oppressors, that there's hope. There is something beyond what you see in front of you. There is something to look forward to. And they also needed healing. Their physical situation was desperate and truly in need of something to change it. And so Jesus came and he brought this healing, even healing that had been caused by demonic oppression, not just the Romans. He brought full healing. It says that the whole multitude sought to touch him. Imagine the throng. Imagine if you were there. Imagine the hope, hearing his words. Imagine your hope, seeing the healings for what ailed you and your society. And it says that virtue went out of him. Unlike anyone that came before him, 
Their power had come from God. Here, power came directly out from Jesus Christ. The power to heal is divine, truly. And God sent his power forth in his Son, God himself, to heal all manner of diseases, even those that were of demonic origin. There's no one left unhealed when Jesus comes by. No one that comes to him is left unhealed. This healing is beyond the natural. Indeed, it's supernatural. It's outside what the world can provide. God brings his healing, and he heals every single one. There's no one, no one sitting here, no one sitting outside of this building that God can't touch and that God can't heal. Always remember that when you're in your time of despair and when you feel oppressed and when you feel hopeless, God's able to heal you. He's able to deliver you. And so it was this day where great healings took place. And upon these healings, establishing his power and his divinity, and the able, that he was able to deliver a message to them of truth, he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, abbreviated here in this place. He lifted up his eyes, he said, on his disciples, and he taught them and said, this is an indirect discourse here. In, Ma in, in the book of Matthew, the Beatitudes are laid out more in full, and there's more exact quotes of the fullness of what Jesus said. But for a reason that is clear as we study this passage a little bit more, Luke's gospel gives us an indirect discourse of what Jesus said, a summary, if you will, of his teaching. And it starts with this very simple statement. It's a foundational statement. It's a statement that says simply this, Blessed are ye poor. Blessed are ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's the foundation upon which Christianity is laid. It's the foundation that says this, we need to understand our poverty, our spiritual poverty. The Jews came to Christ because they understood their situation as being desperate. Truly, they were in desperate states physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and economically. In every aspect of their life, they were tormented and they were oppressed. But did they realize their poverty the way Jesus wanted them to realize it? Do we realize it? I think we're like the Jews. This comes through in all these Beatitudes. We're looking for someone to deliver us from our daily troubles and turmoils. What we really want God is to be for us an escape, a fire escape from hell, if you will, the hell of this earth. We're not thinking about the hell that's eternal. We're thinking about right now, the here and now. We're so trapped in that. And we want somebody to deliver us, just like the Jews did. Our Messiah, the one that we really want, is to be one for us, it solves our problems in the here and now. That's what we want out of Jesus. That's what we want out of God. That's what we want out of our faith, out of our religion. Well, Jesus sits about disabusing us of all those kinds of notions. You see, just like the Jews were looking for a physical, earthly change in their situation, they weren't concerned about their spiritual change. When Jesus delivers these Beatitudes, he goes in an opposite direction of what they were looking for. Jesus comes to us in the same place. I think our world today is just like it was then. We're oppressed, and we don't realize it, maybe. We don't realize our spiritual poverty, because we live in physical wealth, perhaps. Until we get sick, we don't realize our need of anything. And so it was that God, the same way that he approached the Jews, comes to us in our poverty. And he says to us, 
Blessed are the poor. The poor that realize that they're poor. This is an acknowledgement of our spiritual poverty, our sinfulness, our nothingness before our great God, our inability to prepare ourselves for the life that goes on forever and ever, for our eternal soul's destination. This is a poverty that is repentance. It's a state of mind, a state of soul, a state of heart, where man realizes that he's desperately in need of God. To contrast this statement in the verse that follow that we didn't read today, Jesus says that, Woe unto you that are full. How full are we today? We're pretty full, aren't we? We're full of food, earthly. We're full of money. We're full of life, of possibilities, earthly possibilities, goals. But we don't realize our actual poverty and our weakness. All the things that we see, all the things that we rely on day to day, and we live and really in view of, can be swept away from us in an instant. By an accident, by a disease, by death. We don't realize our poverty. We don't realize it because we're so focused on this life and this world and what we can see. And God's left out of the picture. But accepting poverty, I think, is why it's simply stated here. It says not the poor in spirit as it does in Matthew. It just says the poor. We can't even fast and have hunger, let alone spiritual hunger. We're very weak people. Accepting poverty is hard. It's hard to accept it physically. If you've been poor and you've been down and out, you know how hard it is. Well, it's hard to accept spiritual poverty also. Because it sweeps away all the pretense upon which you stand day by day. And it makes you understand you're really not what you really thought you were. You're really not as tough and as strong as you thought you were. He continues and says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Can we hunger, even physically? In Matthew, he says he hungered and thirsted after righteousness. That's great. But can we even hunger physically? Can we just fast physically? No, is the answer. We're totally weak. And God wants us to get a hold of that today. He wants us to get a hold of something else, too, which is that we're not to be focused upon the things of this world. That's our problem. He continues and says, Blessed are those that mourn now for you that weep now. For you shall laugh. He contrasts weeping, crying, with laughter. Do we see our own sin and weep? Have you ever wept for your sins? The fathers speak about tears being, especially St. Simeon, the new theologian, speaks about tears being like a second baptism. When you weep over your sin, you baptize yourself again. When was the last time you cried over your own sin? Or you were angry at your own sin? You were upset with your sin. You weren't happy in it. So often we get into our sin and we like our sin. We laugh in our sin, as it were. It's the exact opposite of what God wants us to be doing. He wants us to weep over our sins. To be sorry for them, yes. To regret them, yes. To not want to do them again. To truly have a heart that's broken by the pain of sin. And even beyond that, he wants us to weep over other people's sins. 
have love and compassion in our hearts. It's deep enough and big enough so that we're hurt too by what we see around us and the suffering that we see around us. Our compassion is weak for others. Our love is weak for God. And so it is that we don't weep. We laugh now. But Jesus says in the passage that follow that woe are you that laugh now. You're laughing in frivolity. You're missing spiritual reality. You're missing compassion for others and love for others. And you're really missing out because you don't see your own sin. Blessed are you, he closes, saying the last one, when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. We sing this beatitude as, Blessed are you, when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Every week we sing that in the Divine Liturgy. People are totally unable, myself included, to bear scorn, to bear shame, to bear evil speaking, to bear other people's hate, aren't we? We want to be loved. We want to be called. We want to be told how great we are. We want to be accepted. We want to be included. All those things. But Jesus says, woe unto you when men draw you near and speak highly of you. Woe unto you when men welcome you into their company and allow you to join in their frivolity and their mindlessness and shed your spiritual sensibility. He says, woe unto you, but blessed are you when men hate you. Jesus was hated, but we're loved. Jesus wept, we laugh. Jesus hungered, we're all full. Jesus was poor, we're rich. Aren't the Beatitudes the opposite of what man wants, what even we want? Jesus is drawing us close to himself. The Beatitudes truly have been marginalized in modern society. What Jesus says really doesn't matter. All that matters now is that you believe in Jesus Christ, whoever he might be. Accept him as your own personal savior and go on with your life. That's not the gospel. Jesus' gospel is encapsulated in, and it's been called the Constitution of Christ, the Beatitudes. This is the way it's supposed to be. Blessed are you when you're weak, you're poor, you're hungry, hungry, men revile you. We've got it all turned upside down. If you look at yourself, you have to understand, I think, truly, if, you're, if God can open our eyes today and look at ourselves, what we live for day to day, minute by minute, is truly just like the Jews. We're looking for the good of this world, everything that it has to offer, the good job, the good house, the good wife, the good money, the good kids, Good car, big ring, whatever your goal might be. So outside of what real Christianity is about, but really where we live day to day. And the sad thing is that we don't get any encouragement to go Jesus' way. Even well-intentioned Christians of other denominations and stripes teach you there's nothing worth suffering for. Everything should be abundant life, even at a church here in town, not out of business. It was called Abundant Life. My father thought it was a life insurance company. <laughs> abundant Life. That's, that's the message of modern day Christianity. But Jesus' gospel is totally the antithesis of that. It's the antithesis of it. 
Jesus says one thing, and the world wants something else. And that's why it's so easy to turn him out and hear what you want to hear. Hear about the good life. Hear about the abundant life. And to pursue all these things that while they may not be evil, are not the best things. And so Jesus calls us today in his simple gospel commands that we need to kind of reorient. What Jesus teaches will come into every facet of your life. And I I have to say that when you look at these things, who desires them? Who desires them? Do you desire poverty? Do you desire poverty of spirit? Be honest with yourself. Do you desire to be hungry? Hungering for righteousness? Or hungering at all? How much do you like weeping? And especially, I think, lastly, how much do we want to be hated by men? You know, there's an order in these Beatitudes that you build upon. If you don't have poverty of spirit, and if you're not hungry for righteousness, and hungry for God, and if you're not weeping, you're not going to be able to avoid the praise of men. You're going to desire it more than anything, and you're going to live for all the bobbles of this world. That order that he shows in this beatitude shows you how you build your Christian life. You start out with repentance and weeping over your sins and being hungry for God. And then you're able to turn your back on this world and all the things that it falsely offers us and all the lies that it tells you and all the rabbit trails that we can get on. Jesus is calling us today to actually embrace these things. Not to tolerate poverty, but to embrace it. Embrace being poor in spirit. Embrace weeping. Embrace being hated by men. That's a call. It's supernatural. But God's power is supernatural. And the reason we don't access it is because we're trying to do it our way. We're trying to build our life just like the Jews wanted. Somebody to come in and get it all set right. Get you the right education, the right car, the right job, the right wife, the right house, whatever. Get it all right earthly. And then that's all we need. Jesus just sweeps that away. He doesn't even approach that as being worthy of even considering. He tells us to embrace poverty, hunger, weeping, and being hated by men because all these things are temporal and they'll be swept away. And to really, truly enter into the kingdom of God, we can't be grasping on to the things that the world offers us. All the affection of the world is worth nothing if we're not in love with God. God loves us the most, and he's most able to kind of bring us to himself when we don't cut ourselves off from him. And the way to God is laid out for us right here. While it's true that God loves all men, not all men are going to be saved. Not all women are going to be saved. Not all children will be saved. But the ones that embrace God's path, which is a path of poverty, weeping, hunger, it's actually a good thing. You got it all wrong. When you find yourself weeping over your sins someday, I've only wept over my sins a few times in my life. Very few. My heart's very hard. But when I've wept over my sins, I've truly entered into God's grace. The fathers tell us we can weep over our sins every day, like some of the great spiritual giants of the faith have done. It's like God's like standing right in front of you, holding your hand. 
and lifting you up. Let's examine ourselves. Let's stop expecting worldly glory and the great things of this life. Let's start to reorient ourselves to the Beatitudes. May God bless us and help us in this thing, in this path of His. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.